Blog Talk Radio. The following show is a proud member of the ShowDoc Network. Learn more about this show and other great shows by logging on to ShowDoc.com. This week's episode of The Legal Docket is being sponsored by Blog Talk Radio, The Hyperbole Hour. And by Olympic Ones, nothing's fantastic today for all the listeners. Coming to you live from... What's on your docket? Welcome to the legal docket with Quas and Jay. Tune in to hear their take on law and politics to find out if our government makes the grade. Presented by ShowDoc.com. Time to talk some politics and legal issues. Hello and welcome to the legal docket on Blog Talk Radio. This is episode number 26 for St. Patrick's Day, or St. Patrick's Day edition. Uh, March 17th, 2013. Tonight we're discussing the Washington fiscal debate. We're also talking about uh, some Israel coalition talks with President Obama making a trip very shortly to Israel, as well as getting into a a big ban that was actually rejected by the Europe uh, that was proposed by the European Union that was rejected. I want to talk. I want to tell you which band that was, uh, what the band entailed, and all the legal issues involved there. We are coming to you live tonight from Brooklyn, New York, and Staten Island, New York. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ethan Quasman. And I'm Lee Arbin. It's a pleasure to be here once again for another week. Uh, Ethan, we I think we skipped over a week, but it's definitely a great pleasure to be back on the air, uh, doing what we do best, uh, providing the. Uh, analysis, I guess, of all the current events that are going on, and boy, what a week that we pick! It was quite an interesting, uh, an interesting week to have gone on, especially now with the, I think, a little bit of the pressure building towards uh, President Obama's trip to Israel. Uh, there's a lot of talk going on about that in the news, as well as the continued fiscal debate, which we talk about over and over again, week after week. So there's definitely a lot going on, definitely a lot to cover. So I think, uh, without further ado, let's get right back into it. Yeah, and our other co-host, uh, still on assignment, still on hiatus, J.V. Rhoda, but eventually, maybe in the future, we'll see him back with us. Mm-hmm. He's still on assignment. Uh, during the show, we want to he- we interested in hearing from our listeners on the phone lines as well, as we as we will be taking questions from our listeners during the show or any comments. Number to call in one three four seven four two six thirty nine zero three. You can also call on toll-free via Skype. Uh, with a microphone, you may have to press 1 via the caller queue. And if you prefer to message your queries, you can IM myself at EthanKlossman at Jabber.org or my co-host, Ilya Arbid at, uh, at org. In addition, leave us a voicemail, send us a text during off-show hours by calling texting us at 315-497-SHOW. At 215-497-7469, be sure to text or say legal docket or LD before your text or call. Ilya, let's get right into it. Busy week in politics and legal issues. Actually, Ethan, I hate hate to interrupt you, but uh, we did forget to mention our Facebook and Twitter pages, which are currently running and operational. Uh, You can check us out at facebook.com slash legal docket. Uh, also twitter.com slash legal docket and we are constantly either tweeting about some new things that are coming down the line or uh, Facebook page is definitely a good way to uh, be on, on the update of, of uh, when our next show will be and what we'll be discussing so um, yeah. definitely check out check out those pages they're a big source of information if you're a fan of our show and uh, we do try to keep them updated as much as possible once that information becomes available right Definitely, and uh, Twitter, legal docket. And also, we, we may be turning a new social network. It's more of a technology story, but there's a new social network called app.net. That looks pretty cool, and uh, it's kind of like uh, the old Twitter version, 
and definitely have to check it out. App.net we may be joining that as well. So stay yeah, tuned. we're we're actually in the process of testing it out, and a couple of our members have joined. I know I've joined, and I've been running through it, and actually it's, it looks like a lot of fun. It definitely definitely uh, improves on the limitations of Twitter, and I think it's uh, it's definitely uh, at least fun to play with. We'll we'll have to wait and see whether that catches on, and. Uh, We'll have to wait and, and see how that turns out. And there's also, I think, another story that I wanted to cover, which is kind of becoming a little bit more personal for me. Uh, I, I just over the weekend decided to upgrade. I know a little late behind the curve, considering we all heard about the uh, upcoming um, system showdown is going to cover the reveal of the Galaxy S4. That's going to be right. this Wednesday at 6 p.m. And um, yeah, 60, I, I just... I just actually upgraded myself to a Galaxy S3, Samsung Galaxy S3 phone. And, you know, considering that Ethan Quasman here has an iPhone, that's, right. quite a, that, that's going to be quite the rivalry we'll have going. But uh, mm-hmm. more on that more, more on that in the System Showdown show. But on this show particularly, I would want to discuss, and uh, again, we'll come back to this later in the show, are the legal ramifications, the constant legal battle that's being waged between two companies, Apple and Samsung, about... Uh, how similar their devices are. It, it seems that Apple is really starting to feel the heat from Samsung, which which has created a phenomenal device and is definitely picking up speed on the amount of devices sold as compared to Apple's iPhone. And I think for the first time recently, our technology our technology crew over System Showdown has tipped us off about Apple actually being a little bit worried, a little bit nervous, and going on a, a sort of a PR war, public relations war, in addition to the courtroom brawls, um, in order to discredit Android and Samsung as a good enough contender. And it seems that the fact that they actually came out with that a few days after the Galaxy S4 was announced is telling in the fact that Apple is now could possibly be starting getting worried about their market share, and it could definitely... Uh, we'll see a lot more lawsuits and a lot more of their legal team really pushing it to try to get Samsung a little bit uh, less of a headroom to work with. Yep. Definitely. Anyway, so let's get right into our first story. Ethan, uh, tell me about the Washington fiscal debate. This is something that we've been covering for months now, and uh, it just doesn't seem, uh, you know, like, like this is a question that ever is going to get resolved. I think the American public is tired of hearing this, but you know, here we are again. Here, here we are uh, again talking to the fiscal debate. So, um, what's new today? Yeah, well, uh, uh, the Speaker of the House, John Boehner, was talking to the Washington Post about the Washington fiscal debate, and. Um, he was asked about um, if there's any ratio of entitlement cuts of his choosing to new revenues, to, to new revenues that he would accept three to one, four to one, five to one, by uh, the Washington Post, and, um, and the, he says um, uh, that the president got his what he wanted, and now House the House GOP wants to get what they want, um, that Obama ran his election for 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 uh, the executive branch for re-election in the White House on taxing the wealthy. He got his tax hike, but he won't talk about the spending problem, and that's the problem here. That's the problem there in Washington. Uh, and, um, and you're in, you're in Washington, Ilya, so maybe you know a little bit about these... Uh, I don't know, you were at a different type of conference, but there was a lot of talk about the spending problems in Washington. Uh, and uh, You know, it's funny, yeah, you're right. I was in Washington, but I wasn't anywhere nearly nearly as close to the fiscal debate as, as uh, I would have liked to be. Uh, but yeah. I, honestly, it's it's really, there's really, it's a simple decision, something that could be decided between two very logical people, but again, when it comes to politics, it's very difficult for people to sit down at a table and come up to some logical uh, conclusions, some logical uh, understandings, and kind of eliminate a lot of the questions right off the bat. Again, what we're seeing is, yes, it, it is a 
a party fight. It is two parties with two completely different views on how to handle the fiscal situation, and their approaches are different, even though their goal is the same. Now, obviously, in a, in a perfect world, you would have the best of both worlds. You would take ideas from one, you would take ideas from the other, and technically, that's how bipartisanship is supposed to work. But instead, what we are seeing is more of gridlock, where one doesn't agree with the other, and the others don't agree with the original ideas. And because they stick so hard to their line, I think it's gotten to the point where, by this point, both sides have kind of lost track of where they were going with this and just stick to the original um, you know, lines that they have gotten used to saying over and over and over again to the press without really thinking about, you know, are we possibly not seeing something? Is there a compromise that could possibly be offered that we're not looking at simply because we're so far into this and we've got the whole party behind us that, you know, it's it's kind of like groupthink. You know what groupthink is? Uh, groupthink? Yes. It, it, it's when, you know, several members of, of a group agree with one another, not because they necessarily understand the issue, but simply because everybody else seems to agree. So if everybody else seems to agree, it must be the right thing, right? Yeah. Not always so. And we can give a lot of examples from history. I mean, I, I don't want to give the most drastic example of groupthink, but think about it this way. You know, we, we constantly talk about, this is something that comes up also very often about Israel and, and the Jews. And if we go back as far as the Nazi party back in 1939 in Germany had actually managed to get a lot of people onto its side, particularly due to groupthink. They wouldn't question why certain things needed to be done. They just saw it as a, look, everybody's doing it, everybody's agreeing to this, this must be good. This must be good for the country, this must be good for the people, and clearly we know where that ended us. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people are speculating that is the fiscal cliff, is this is this kind of um, gridlock is what's going to really shut government down and really going to um, you know, offer a no solution kind of situation where the public is not going to have any real answer or any way to plan for their future. So that's my thought on the fiscal cliff. It's, it's rather, it's not a question of what the issues are. It's the question of nobody is seeing them for what they are anymore. They're more focused on driving their party line and sticking to their party line in order to win a few brownie points towards the election as opposed to really doing, you know, bipartisan work that they were elected to do. Actually, a good example would be, um, have you heard about CPAC? Yes, yeah, so this was a conservative movement, right? Correct. It was a conservative party, uh, basically a conservative party uh, lobby group. And they invited a lot of Republicans, they invited a lot of Tea Party members, but again, one person that I remember from the last election season who actually showed bipartisanship in a non-political manner, meaning it was nothing, nothing was voted on. I'm talking about Chris Christie when President Obama came to see the damage after Hurricane Sin Sandy. He, by doing that, by stepping out of the zone, by saying, look, we got work to do that is not political, that is simply helping American people. This is government working at its best. A governor from an opposite, governor is meeting a president from an opposite party, and they're able to talk like real men and figure out what the steps should be and where, what help needs to be done after a major uh, disaster. Guess what? The conservative party, conservative movement, snubbed Christie. They didn't even invite him. Why? Probably because because this was a little bit too much from a bipartisan perspective. It was it was a little too much more than they could handle from a perspective of, hey, um, you know, Christie is clearly not following what the standard procedure is for the Republican Party. He likes to do it in his own way. Now, is he still conservative? Is he still a good representative of the Republican Party? I would say so, based on his views. But it seems that the Republican Party is in a huge disconnect with who the real players of their party are and how they should approach the bipartisanship, not only from a public relations perspective, but also from a practical perspective of where it is simply unnecessary to fight over little things. 
Yeah. And uh, and CPAC also was, uh, I guess they were also discussing, uh, we talked about this in some other uh, past shows about uh, the uh, 26, the, the 2016 campaign for the White House. Uh, so, um uh, I'm sure that was on their agenda, but uh, I guess we'll discuss that more in coming weeks. But yeah, that um, it was definitely. I, I, I think that's a long time away. We still got a long, long time to get to that. Yeah. Definitely. All right, moving on. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, let's talk about the Israel coalition talks. The Israel coalition talks. Well, uh, yes. So um, this is big because. Uh, Big for the U.S. to look at because uh, the president is making his first trip of his first two terms um, to Israel in the coming weeks, uh, and um, this really is important because he wants to go to a country that has a strong government. And for a while, it looked like Israel would be the government wouldn't be as strong as it was. But now it looks like they are going to be uh, in in strong shape. Uh, and according to Haaretz, which is a major newspaper, online uh, newsletter uh, edition uh, in uh, in Israel, uh, online media source, mm-hmm. um, according to Chaim Levinson, mm-hmm. wrote the article. When it comes to the country's purse strings, Naftali Bennett, who did run for um, prime minister and lost, um, his his party, Habayat Hayudi, had scored a major victory for religious Zionism. And he, of course, is a um, religious Jew, uh, more so than the, the current prime minister, Netanyahu. But uh, that, being, that being aside... Um, now, Telly Bennett has been declared by political commentators to be the big winner in the recent elections, and a look at uh, at the complete coalition agreement proves just how big his victory is. The coalition agreement signed Friday between signed this past Friday, um, March 15th, uh, and actually in Israel. I don't know if you know this, but they go by a, a different calendar. That they have two calendars in Israel. Uh, this was, um, it's already Monday in Israel, uh, <laughs> six hours ahead, but uh, um, they go by different calendars. This was the, uh, I believe it was the uh, month of Nisan, uh, Friday, the uh, Sunday was the 6th, so Friday the 4th, uh, Friday the 4th of Nisan in Israel. The coalition agreement signed Friday between Habayat Hayudi and, and Likud Yisrael Betaneu, which is a big party in Israel, includes a long list of achievements for religious Zionism, especially when it comes to economic matters, which was a big issue of the election. Um, uh, there was a, in 2009, there was a coalition agreement signed between Likud and Yisrael Betaneu, Betaneu to see how wide the gap is between such agreements and reality. That said, Bennett managed to get up half what he promised. That will be a a huge accomplishment for him. Uh, One paragraph of the uh, agreement stated that a Jewish identity administration shall be established in the religious service ministry to support various activities dealing with this area. And to, I guess to sum this up, um, it's not clear what, what these activities are, what is meant for, by Jewish identity, but what we can be quite certain uh, that the administration will fund all the agencies established over the past three years to spread the doctrine of religious Zionism and... Uh, Um, among these agencies are the, in Hebrew, Garinim Tzuranim, a groups of religious young adults. Um, 
who moved to the predominantly secular communities in Israel and engaged in outreach and who have benefited greatly from the abundant funding obtained for them by M.K. Yuri Arrow. Now, it has been determined that the responsibility and the budget for assisting these groups will be coordinated by a single administration to be established in 90 days. Now, getting to what Yeah, go ahead, Elliot. Look, we're we're getting into, you know, a very detailed uh, discussion here about uh, Israeli politics, and uh, I guess it's a little bit of a, a um, you know, a step away from what we we usually do. Um, right. Um, this is, this, uh, this is uh, like the show that I used to do, and I may get back to doing Avner Live. <laughs> this is uh, yes, yes. I, I actually, you know, my first thought was actually that this sounds like an Avner Live story. Um, you know, but like considering you're the host of both, uh, Ethan, uh, here's, here, I'll, I'll do a brief explanation. And this has to be, I think, explained. A lot of our listeners, I think, and a lot of uh, the audience in general in the United States is not very well familiar with what exactly is going on in Israel. Um, the problem with, with Israel is very similar to what is happening in Jewish communities here in the United States. They're very right. fragmented. They're very different. Yeah. Uh, Judaism is practiced differently, whether it's through Orthodox, Reform, or uh, you, you know, or just those who are just culturally Jewish and don't really follow uh, any specific uh, rules. They all uh-huh. vary very differently, but they all have one thing in common, and the fact that they all live under one roof, which is essentially Israel. Now, you know, as, as anybody would say, it's very hard. It's very similar to what the United States tries to do. And look at what the gridlock is that it causes for us. We talk about that all the time, about the same fiscal questions. Now, what's happening here is actually even more complicated. Their government structure is not the same as ours. They're built more on parliament, parliament structure. And because of that, they don't have the kind of bicameral system that we have that allows things to kind of still move forward. So essentially, in any single time that their elections take place and different parties get elected, they run these things through the different um, different policies and they change them around. And, and by the end of it, nobody knows what is going on where anymore. And I think that's exactly where this is happening. Each party writes up their own uh, party platform, what they want to accomplish. Problem is, a lot of those things are so vague that when the party comes into power, it's very difficult to understand what exactly they're trying to accomplish and particularly why. So what ends up happening is there's a whole lot of disconnect between the parties who largely disagree but actually agree on certain questions. And there's a lot of disconnect between what they're truly trying to accomplish. So the fight really exists for the sake of having power. But once some of these parties actually get into power, they're not particularly sure what exactly is supposed to happen afterwards. Meaning, the actual legislative portion of it is lost. All you're getting is the campaign to get elected, but then when you have to actually make rulings and make decisions, you're lost again because you have all these other parties criticizing your election and questioning your election, and you don't really actually get to do the the the... the work itself that needs to get done in Israel. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done over there. There's a lot of uh, defense issues that have to be worked out. But nonetheless, you got to give Israel a lot of credit because they have separated the, their economic system to such an extent that no matter what goes in the government, Israel is still able to continue operating and is still able to go on day after day while these political questions get resolved. So that's my thought on Israel. And I think we touched upon it uh, in, in um, you know, in a very brief manner because getting into the details of it, it, you know, you could do a whole one-hour show just on the results of these elections and what the differences are and, and you know, how each party tries to approach their goal, which is very difficult to define to begin with. Right. So that's my thought on that. Um you know, it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult topic, and you know, I I think that there's probably a 
you know, I mean, Ethan, if you want to go in depth into this, by all means, we can do an Ogner Live episode where we can really do a one and a half hour where we can really get into the nitty gritty of it. But, you know, legal docket, we just try to cover general politics in, in general, and uh, it just seems, seems a little too detailed for, for this case. But I think the general idea is kind of how I explained it. There's a lot of political parties fighting for power, but once they're in power, they don't know how to pursue it further because they're constantly getting blocked by members of other parties also trying to break into and gain power. Right. Definitely. All righty. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on away from Israel briefly. Uh, we, we can definitely come back to Israel, I think, another day and, and get get into those things. I know a lot of our listeners, uh, you know, the, 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 Issues going on in the Middle East are key right now, especially with the president's trip down to Israel and his upcoming meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, is very important. Uh, also, as you know, um, Yehud Barak, the former defense minister, has stepped down and uh, a new minister was appointed. So I think we, we definitely, I, I want to read up on that a little bit more. I'm not too familiar with it, with who he is, but I think it could be a good topic for, to talk about in our next show. Yep. So I'm very curious about that ban you were talking about in the European Union. Yes. Uh, well, tell tell us know, about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. This, this is something that um, we were also planning to talk about with John on uh, System Showdown, um, our sister show. Uh, this is a um, uh, from the European Union. Uh, it's an it was a uh, censorship ban of obscenities of uh actually the the right term and uh we, we I tried posting about this on the blog this is funny I tried posting uh the the exact term in the blog talk radio title and I was censored by blog talk radio I was blocked for posting this uh, this word um pornography because it may be uh, it may be offensive to some listeners. That's what that's, that's what they told me. So I had to use just the European Union ban. But uh, language, yeah, go that's ahead. Really, that's, really, that's really strange. I, I wouldn't think. I mean, pornography is not a vulgar word by any means. It's a, more of a description as opposed to a, a a graphic explanation. So that actually puzzles me. I, I'm actually not sure why there would be any reason to you know, to ban the actual word from use by uh, Block Talk Radio, but, you know. Yeah, I'm curious to yourself. I may contact them about that. But anyway, um, the ban was voted down on March 12th, about five days ago, amid censorship concerns. It was There was language that would ban online pornography that was dropped from a report approved by the European Parliament. Uh, and this is a legal issue. something JV would probably be interested in talking about. Uh, major concerns over the future of Internet privacy remain as legislators themselves were blocked from reading constituents' complaints. Members of the European Parliament voted, uh, this is according to Russia Today, which is a big uh, international um, uh, media organization. Uh, they voted, and, they, and they're actually noted for being anti-Israel, which is something separate that I always notice when I watch them, but it's a different issue. <laughs> uh, members of the European Mr. Quasman, Mr. Quasman, that's comments reserved for Avner Live. Remember, we're on legal docket. Yes. Um, um, but back to the ban. Um, yeah, back to the ban. Uh, the, the European Parliament voted by a score of 368 to 159 in favor of passing a report titled Eliminating gender stereotypes in the, in the EU. That's the exact name. Eliminating gender stereotypes in the in the EU. However, there was a rejection of a controversial porn ban proposal that seemingly became a major victory for online freedom. Um, it's interesting. There was a Supreme Court justice in America that once said uh, that he can that he can tell that something's um, um, obscene or porn. When he sees it, I forgot the exact name of the justice, but it was a famous um, case in the, in the Supreme Court about pornography. Anyway, 
The particular clause has been dropped from the text of a new resolution, but it still contains references to an earlier resolution passed by the Parliament in 1997, which calls for statutory measures to prevent any form of pornography in the media and advertising. Wow. Uh, this is in Europe. Although the resolution is not legally binding, it can be used as a basis to form legislation. And um the rest of the story here. Um, and this was a human rights information technology and Internet issue uh, that went by. And uh, I don't know, what are your thoughts about this? This is something that I, I can never see the United States getting involved in with all of the media here and uh um but uh they were trying to ban any type of um content that would be even close to um something that's considered obscene which is a i guess is uh, is uh sometimes hard to judge um you know, it's 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 a difficult again. It's one of those questions that that you see all the time between the First Amendment rights to freedom of speech, freedom of freedom to do whatever you please, and um, you know the other concept is, well, what exactly are we banning? Are we banning illegal content, or is something that's legal more of a you know question? And again, you know, I'm surprised to see this from the European Union. If anything, I would expect to see this from somewhere here in the United States. Wow. Yeah. The United States is more of a, you know, self-conscious, um, what's the word I'm looking for, more conservative kind of um, environment where you could, you could see people vouching, vouching to say, hey, close down the porn industry. Nobody needs to see that stuff. That is dirty. That is disgusting. That is not something we should be thinking about. But for the yeah. European Union to say it, this must be either a misunderstanding or some kind of a, a you know, again, it's it's not something that I think is a rights question. It's not a definitely not a human rights question. You know, it, it has existed for many years. It is the way things sell. Maybe not in the direct way, but. Think about it. Everything, all of media, all of advertising is built on the concept that sex sells. This just takes it to the next level. Who is to say and to create into that kind of police that's going to create a, a police state that's going to have people afraid of this? It's very difficult to enforce that, let alone think about it. Just because something will be blocked, you know this. This is a common thing that you do with kids. If you tell a kid no, what are they going to do? They're going to do it anyways. If right. the European Union reinstates a ban on this, do you really think that's going to stop people from accessing or finding access to pornography? Or do you think that this is going to become another extension of, of, of that illegal market or the black market or whatever you want to call it? It's still going to exist. It's just not going to exist in the form that it exists today. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to exist at all. Because as we all know, poor, the pornography industry is one of the biggest industries in the whole world. I once read a, this is more, I guess, of a, a, a technical thing that we can cover on System Showdown, but pornography is actually one of the most trafficked websites. Yep. They, get more, they get more traffic to their websites than Google, all major news organizations, Facebook, and Twitter put together. In right. one day. And it's actually responsible for something like, I, I don't quote me on the number because I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was somewhere in excess of 80, 80% of Internet traffic is pornography related. Doesn't surprise me, man. How are you going to ban something like that? How are you going to go and say, hey, we're just going to ban it. You can't watch it. You can't do it. Do you really think that's going to stop somebody? I don't think so. And so it's ridiculous to consider it. I understand the intentions are good, but sometimes even if you have good intentions, you have to be realistic. You have to understand psychology enough to understand that this is how people are wired. You, you just can't block something 
we're just only going to exacerbate the problem as opposed to try to resolve it. Instead of banning it, why don't we try educating people? Right. You know, at least in the United States, we have the logic to say, hey, listen, we're not going to do it. This is a progressive idea. Okay, given. Maybe it's not for everybody, again, because we're Americans. But as you know, here in New York City, Mayor Bloomberg was proposed, um, you know, upgrading the high school programs with the with uh, sexual, sexual education classes, which engage students in particularly the kinds of things that you would see in a in a pornography film. Right. Why? Because they understand that because everybody has internet these days, the access is there. They know about it. It's in our movies. It's in our papers. It's in our. Uh, it's everywhere. Think about the the sex scandals that we recently seen. The the General Petroleum scandal. The you know the, uh, all, all these different all these different scandals. If you look at it, they go into such graphic detail in the media in the in the papers themselves. How about the Anthony Weiner uh, thing? <laughs> I mean, I can name a lot. We can go back to Spitzer and how detailed we knew about the fact that he wore socks when he does it. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, the fact that we know such remote details already tells you that the access is there, that people know about it, and that, that our kids are not safe at all. So what's the point of, of, of doing something for the sake of it just being there, for it having a kind of this glorified view of it, if it's really not going to have any real purpose. Yeah. Does it turn and out the X-rated legal docket? <laughs> well, that could be an interesting concept. We can do a legal docket after hours. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what, what, what we're talking about is it's not – I don't think it's going to work. My personal opinion is it's not going to work. It's not something that can do it. Now, yeah. well, does this mean that I'm encouraged – I'm sorry. It's interesting you bring that up because this uh, this porn ban in the uh, in Europe was actually proposed by uh, MEP, the Dutch Socialist Party, uh, and went mostly unnoticed until um, uh, I don't know what MV, M, uh, until some of the MEPs sounded the alarm in March calling on citizens to protest the measure. Uh, and, uh, yeah, um, it's... Look, uh, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. And, again, I, I just want to reiterate. I'm not promoting pornography. Not yeah. in any sense. I'm not promoting it. And I'm not saying it's good. I'm not going to say it's bad. I'm not going to say that it, it shouldn't exist. I'm not going to say that it should exist because that is a decision that each person makes themselves. Right. I'm saying that making a law or making a decision that is so uniform and across the board and very vague about what exactly you're trying to accomplish will not be effective. That is all I'm saying. I'm saying this is simply, if we take pornography, the term, out of the picture, will this be effective legislation? And the fact of the matter is, it won't be. It won't be because it's not done correctly, because it's not done. What we're saying is, look at it as just every other piece of legislation. Don't look at it as a, you know, as, as a uh, headline. It, it's, it shouldn't look, be looked at as a headline. It should be looked at more in the lines of, hey, guys, this is not going to work because we have no way to enforce it, because it's very limiting, and because this is simply going to be more of a problem for us later than it is currently now. With that being said, it's funny you mentioned Anthony Weiner. You know what I hear? He's from, coming back. Uh, from a news source. We'll just put it this way because it's very, very, very difficult to, you know, everybody has their political views, but coming from Fox News today, um, Anthony Weiner uh, former representative in Brooklyn that had uh, participated in a sex scandal. Uh, rather, it wasn't really a sex scandal because he actually didn't have any. It was a sexting scandal, more of a Twitter scandal. Uh, and um, it appears that he's testing the possibility 
of uh, attempting a political comeback. Um, he is desperate. I think he's definitely, you know, I, I really don't want to get into the fray because my personal opinion is he did a good job. Um, uh-huh. Do I think we were too quick to run ahead and con- and confront him about it with, with the issues that that sort of hand? Look, Ethan, we can get into the ramifications of how the media cashed in on the story and essentially forced him out. We see this all the time. He was he he did the story. We later saw it with a story that I personally like from the point of the media is a Manti Teo story where he was essentially dating a fake girlfriend and the story kept perpetuating. That's not the point. The point is, you know, why should we discredit a politician's or a public figure's um, accomplished accomplishments, unrelated accomplishments, just because of a mistake that they made in their personal life? General Petroius might not be the most amazing husband or the most amazing man, the most honorable man in history. But is that something to take away from him, from the accomplishments that he did accomplish in the military, from being successful CIA director? I don't think so. I don't think that we should do that. I think that the general public is way too quick to judge a person and, and really judge them more in a negative light as opposed to a positive light. Anthony Weiner has done a lot for the communities that he has been a representative of. He has been a vocal representative in Congress. He has produced bills that directly affected the areas that that uh, he oversaw. And, you know, his, the overall community response prior to this whole disaster was favorable. He, he was actually... You know, he he was actually, you know, doing a good job. He, he was a good contender for the mayor of New York City in this upcoming election. And it was very unfortunate when that whole situation happened. Right. Um, you know, it, it seems that he was spending some money on polls, trying to test the possibility of uh, still running for the um, public office, Century City Hall. Uh, But it seems that the public polls show that voters still view him negatively with only months to go before petitioning starts for this year's city elections. And we can also talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, his governorship in... uh, in, um, California, despite his uh, scandal, so it's, it's across the board. Is he trying to run too? Did he try to what? Is he trying to run for office again too? Uh, I don't Not that I know. I think he came back to a movie career where this kind of behavior is far more accepted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we're not getting into that. Yeah. Even the sports figures. Remember Tiger Woods? Yep, he's back. He's back. He's doing it. So it's not like it's not doable. It's definitely out there. And and it doesn't seem like people have too much of a negative view of him. And, in fact, I think both him and Schwarzenegger are definitely reaching out to to their wives, their their either ex-wives or their current wives, still separated. And they're really trying to reconcile and say, listen, people make mistakes, but let's learn and move on and uh, live the rest of our lives together, which, you know, is, is admirable, I would say, at best. Mm-hmm. So what else do we have on the docket today? Uh, also on the docket is, uh, well, um, let's see, we got, we, we talked about the fiscal debate, and um, we haven't talked yet about um, uh, the um, uh, some laws and 
in Maryland that's interesting that relates to politics and legal issues. Uh, Maryland uh, had a death penalty repeal. Is Maryland's death penalty repeal politics principle? A little bit of both. This is a story in uh, out of uh, the Washington Post again, um, and uh, it relates to uh, legal issues. And um, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, also, number to call in again: one three four seven four two six thirty nine zero three. And you can also chat with us um, if you want to send us a chat in the Blog Talk Radio chat room or on Jabber Chat. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Maryland's had a story about the, the death penalty. Uh, this is kind of similar to the, uh, the issues with the gun laws. Um, on Friday, um, Maryland became the sixth state in um I believe six years, and the 18th and the 18th state in the country to repeal the death penalty. Governor Martin O'Malley of Maryland, who is a Democrat, um, lobbied hard for the legislation, and will um, slowing this up, uh, and will uh, soon. Sign and sign it uh, to repeal the uh, death penalty. Uh, so I don't know. Here's what I'm not understanding, and and we look at this again. Yeah. Yes, Maryland is, you know, looking into repealing the death penalty, and, and while I understand that, at the same time. It, it really depends where you are. Um, death row is actually, in those states that have death row, it's becoming very costly to house inmates for those many years that they post appeals and do last-minute pardons. And I think, you know, in this era of cost-cutting and kind of trying to push for a more responsible fiscal situation, the question remains, what do we do? Do we keep these people incarcerated or do we release them? Do we forgive them? Do we, you know, execute them eventually? So, you know, I think it's more of a question, not only a question of morality, but it has to be explored from multiple angles. It has to be looked at from all the various aspects that are involved in this. And saying that, you know, oh, this could have legal ramifications for the governor. Well, you know what? Not only from a moral perspective, but from all kinds of perspectives. It's definitely a difficult decision to make. There's a lot of that that is weighing on it. And, you know, this is part of that game that has to be played. This is something that you risk for the sake of the greater benefit of your state or or of of the people you represent. And sometimes a politician can get um, a lot more I would say street credit and a lot more credibility among the voting public if he goes against what is typically believed to be the best idea to do politically. People enjoy seeing a politician who's not afraid of stepping out of the boundaries and challenging his peers and saying that something is a good idea and here's why. As long as the governor O'Malley can explain why this is a better idea than that having the the law and why it should be repealed, I don't see any any reason why he should hesitate on signing it into law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And also um, about this uh, death penalty law, the governor, um, Martin O'Malley, called the death penalty an, ex- an expensive policy that has proven not to work. Um, he is hardly new to the issue. He wrote a post op-ed the Washington Post back in 2007 called Why I Oppose the Death Penalty. Um, O'Malley is also considered a uh, likely presidential candidate in 2016. 
anything, again, we talked about that before, again, we'll, that would be something that we'll discuss way in the future. But anything he does in office, including this ban, has implications for his political future. Um, so, again, that's the, that's the political side of this. But, again, the legal side of this is that the death penalty's popularity has been gradually decreasing since the peak in the mid-1990s with the when a whopping 80% favored executions, according to a, a Gallup poll, decreasing crime and increasing DNA evidence appears to have an effect, but support has been stuck in the mid-60s for the past few years, according to a Gallup poll uh, produced between um, 2004 and 2012. There is a racial gap that could come into play as the white share of the vote declines, according to the General, General Social Survey, 56% of Hispanics and 47% of African Americans back the death penalty and compared to 71% of whites. So I guess there's something interesting about that. Um, in Maryland, a strongly democratic state, a majority supports the death penalty, even though 61% of voters didn't think into tears murder. It could end up on the ballot next year as same-sex marriage and the state's version of the DREAM Act. It, the DREAM Act, of course, related to immigration in Maryland did last year. Um, the death penalty simply isn't on the national radar in the same way as gay marriage or abortion, and, and there is no prominent national lobby pushing for the death penalty as there is for gun rights. But um, O'Malley shouldn't fear a huge backlash on this issue, though likely be one of many Republicans would use to tag him as a liberal from a liberal state. On the flip side, it will squirm a few points with the Democratic base, but isn't going to compel him to national stardom. So this is more of a political issue than a legal issue. But again, earlier there are some legal issues involved here. Um, mm -hmm. So we've got about nine minutes left to go on the program. And uh, well, I have some I have some fun stories. Uh, well, not really fun, but uh, one of them is definitely fun and interesting. Um, one unfortunate thing, just reporting from CNN, this was uh, just over an hour ago. Uh, two killed in Indiana plane crash. It yeah, appears that a pri private jet has crashed and uh, damaged two homes and possibly a third. And two people were killed. Three others were injured. Uh, from this this situation, uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, that's what we're getting from CNN right now. Now, in other news, this is much more fun, I think. Um, two inmates in jail have escaped in Quebec, uh, in Canada. They climbed up a rope into a hovering helicopter during daylight to escape from a jail northwest of Montreal. Wow. The police had later said that they arrested three people about 30 miles north of the jail, um, and they said that there's still there's still maybe more suspects out there, and did not specify who was arrested. Um, that's interesting. Grabbing a rope and climbing up to the helicopter sounds sure like a kind of a. Uh, Kind of a, a, a very movie-like escape, don't you think? I didn't even know that this was uh, something that actually happened. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, but they uh, they said that police have tracked down the helicopter um, about 53 miles from the jail, but the chopper's pilot was still at the scene. The pilot was taken to the hospital. So, um, interesting. interesting hope he's okay. Yeah, let's hope so. And also, um, we're looking at an interesting story here that the United States government has made an inquiry into uh, News Corp. Uh, you know, as you remember, last year was um, uh, they they were looking into the Justice Department was investigating claims that employees in the China News Bureau, the Wall Street Journal, bribed local officials with gifts in exchange for valuable information, and. Uh, Right now, they're saying that um, they're now looking into more of the Wall Street's participation as part of the overall phone hacking scandal, which has been around since 2011, as you know. So it seems that it has finally has come overseas and has now 
being looked at as part of a bigger scheme that has been going on in News Corp across media companies uh, that are owned by News Corp for many years, and it seems that the Wall Street Journal might have been involved in some way, fashion, or form. Oh, wow. So, that might have an effect on the stock market. <laughs> what's that? It said that might have an effect on the stock market, don't you think? I don't know. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely might, and it's interesting because, um, you know, they're they're looking into charges where American officials discovered that at least one employee of the Wall Street Journal in China had given bribes in exchange for information. Uh, the newspaper said that those gifts went well beyond the standard exchange of drinks and meals between sources and journalists, and included more costly gifts of entertainment and travel. Now, if this is found to be true, that could actually violate the United States Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which actually launched the investigation in the first place. Yeah, also, um, you know, another interesting story, which probably will, is also related to uh, American-Israeli relations we talked about before. Um, on Sunday, uh, well, today, but it's really Monday in Israel, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu appointed on Sunday a new defense minister, Moshe Yalon. Yeah, I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. We mentioned that earlier, yeah. So this is going to have... um, And the the former... uh, Wasn't Yahud Barak a former defense minister? Yes, Um, yes. And uh, he's also a former prime minister, too. But... um, the topic is high to, is expected to be high on the agenda about Israel striking Iran um, when President Barack Obama visits Israel later this week. Wow, it's coming this week. I didn't realize that. That's a big story. Um, according to uh, ABC News, he's going this week. Um, oh, the president? Yeah. Yes. That's, that's big. Uh, and Israel's new government is expected to be sworn in this week just ahead of Obama's arrival. So, wow. So, um... Oh, we'll have to wait and see. I'm just scanning some local news, and it appears that, once again, uh, there's another, another... uh, sexting scandal at New Jersey High School. So this is just back to our conversation about uh, how this is kind of a perpetuating thing and it does exist in our public. And uh, before we wrap up, even we uh, actually we actually completely missed the biggest story of the week. Is this the College basketball, um, so, so is this, uh, with the selection Sunday with the uh, brackets? <laughs> well, if you're a member of the sports docket, perhaps. But I was thinking more along the lines of the election of the new pope. Yes, uh, Pope Francis. Uh, um, yes, yep. he's of Argentinian descent, and uh, Pope Francis I, he's now the official new pope of the Vatican. So uh, we'll see how that turns out. I think we'll have more coming down the line as uh, as he establishes himself and establishes the policy of the Catholic Church going forward. Uh, also, if you're a big fan of um, news and technology and just overall, I'd say, what we call the nerdy, geeky stuff, uh, you know, if you're a fan of films and and if you watch the Oscars, we do definitely urge you to check out our sister show, Blue Zone Report. Yeah. Uh, I know that that our host Michael Rise, Michael Rise has been doing a phenomenal job with that show. Uh, right now, particularly, is a very interesting time as uh, we're covering the British show Doctor Who, and Michael is actually allowing his listeners to go in and uh, pretty much listen from the show's uh, reboot in 2005, which is when the modern show came about. So it's been around for 50 years, and considering this year is the 50th anniversary of the show, and they're about to go with some fresh new episodes for the remaining of Season 7 in just over two, just a little bit under two weeks. Uh, we're very excited to bring you a retrospective of uh, these several, I would say, 
season's worth of information of what's been going on to kind of catch up our listeners in case they want to jump in on the show. So I highly urge, I'm a fan myself, I highly urge all the listeners to check it out and uh, check out Michael's show, Blue Zone Report, at the show dot network at Blog Talk Radio slash Blue Zone. BZR, sorry, yes, correct, BZR, and uh, we highly encourage you to check it out. He's doing a phenomenal job. He's an amazing host, and uh, we wish him the best of luck with the rest of his series. And I will sometimes join him on those shows, as well as on the live shows that are going to follow once the uh, actual show comes back on the air. We'll be doing reviews the day after of how it went. Yep. So, uh, with that being said, Mr. Quasman, it's been a pleasure being here with you. Um, I hope you enjoyed my company for our uh, mm-hmm. weekly a, weekly legal docket meeting, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Yep, look forward to talking in the future. Stay tuned to our Twitter and Facebook page for updates on future shows and topics. Uh, I'm Ethan Quasman. And I'm Mel Yarbit. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you soon. Good night, and happy St. Patrick's Day.